Welcome to the Garden Culture Podcast, hosted by me, Bailey Van Tassel. I'm a self-taught gardener, busy wife and mother, and small business owner on a mission to live a garden-inspired life. Each month, we will explore what's going on in the garden and fields, as well as get to know incredible people who infuse their own lives with the magic of the garden. For more information on any techniques, recipes, or ideas mentioned here, please visit us at baileyvantassel.com slash podcast. Welcome back to the Garden Culture Podcast with me, Bailey Van Tassel. Today is such an exceptional treat. We are speaking with a dear friend of mine, Jay Williams, who runs the entire beekeeping program at South Hall Inn in Tennessee. I got to meet Jay, go on an apiary tour with him. I had my five-year-old come with me. And upon meeting him, his passion for beekeeping was palpable. Like he is so knowledgeable, but this passion came to him later in life. And as we started chatting, he explained to me like that bees saved him. Beekeeping saved his life. Like it took his life in a different direction. Um, But he had been a firefighter and recently retired, got into beekeeping. It's such a beautiful story. Comes from a background of actors actually spent time in New York and LA. You're going to hear the whole scoop, but you guys, this is not one to miss. We dive into honeybees, native bees, beekeeping, um, best practices for bees. If you keep bees, if you don't, there's so much good information, you guys. I cannot wait for you to listen to this super inspiring and also just very informative and incredible conversation. Hello, Jay. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I'm so excited to chat with you because I feel like you're an old friend. And I feel like we have a lot in common. We have, we do have a lot in common, but um, I just feel like our values are really similar. So no matter what we're talking about, I feel like it's through a similar lens and it's just really fun. Um, And I'm really excited for you to share your story because in the short amount of time I got to know you, I was so inspired and also intrigued. I don't even know the full scoop, but I want to give everyone context. So We met at South Hall Inn when I was on my like summer sojourn in Tennessee Mm -hmm. and you are the beekeeper there, which I thought was really cool that they placed so much importance on the bees at South Hall. And I think I actually feel like maybe I know that you brought that level of emphasis, integrity, and excitement to the property. And I feel like it has changed the way people do farm to table. If it hasn't already, I know that it will. So I would love for you to also introduce yourself in terms of the full scope of what you do other than just the beekeeper at South Hall. Sure. That was a great introduction. Thank you, by the way. Uh, It's funny. I feel like we really only spent like 90 minutes together. Like we Mm. were like physically, I really didn't get that much time. And yet I totally agree with you. Like if you swapped out gardening for beekeeping, I feel like you would have my voice. Like we we have the same passion for what we're doing. Um, So it was really awesome when you came to visit and I hope you guys come back for sure. But uh, I've been on the the South Hall project now actually for seven years. I'm kind of like almost the OG of the property. Uh, And truth be told, when we first started this project, um, the owner said, uh, the owner, Paul Mishkin said, Hey, would you consider like having a couple hives on the property? Like that's how this whole thing started. Mm. And I was like, no, 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 no. Let's, let's go bigger. What do you think? And luckily he was like, all right, 
you know, let's give it a shot. Let's try it. And this, this program that is now alive and thriving really has just sort of doubled in size every year. It's like the early days of the internet where you're like, where's this thing going to go? And it like <laughs> literally kept doubling in size and it's just constantly overwhelming. Um, but uh, it, it's really, and now it's my full-time job. So when I first started working at South Hall, I was a fireman and I just recently retired a, a couple of years ago. And so luckily I was able to work at the fire station uh, for 48 hours and then for 96 hours have my days off. And this is kind of what I did on, on my days off. And honestly, I'm, I'm addicted to beekeeping. This thing, <laughs> whatever it is, like I came from a family of actors. I have nothing to do with agriculture. I love a good story. I love connecting with people. But in the end, like I, I, this, this whole like bug industry is brand new to me. I mean, 16 years ago, let's be honest. But mm. over 16 years, this little tiny bug has just changed how I look at myself, how I look at the world, uh, other mm. people, how we communicate and interact. So it's been an amazing journey. And I think the best part is I have no idea where it's going. Uh, I, I love, I love that. that you That's, love that. I, I Most wanna... people are not okay with not knowing and you're like <laughs> yeah. all about it. Yeah. I, luckily there's, there's a lot of support with that, you know, uh, that vision, but you know, I, my wife is hugely supportive. Um, obviously where I work now is, is very much supportive. So, uh, I, I don't know if I'd be here if I didn't have that, that background people really rooting me on. Um, but it, it's definitely changed us all for it, what I would think is the better, um, and you know, I'm, I know it sounds weird, but it's totally true. I'm, I'm literally living the cliche. Like I love what I do. I love the chances that I get. Um, and I really have a passion just like you spoke about in your podcast the other day. It's like, I, there's something about it that is filling my cup every day. Mm. Um, and I don't know how else to describe it other than to say it's like, it's like when you were in college and you had like a wild night where you're like dancing on the town, you connected with all your friends and you wake up the next morning and you're like exhausted, but you have this like half smile on your face. Like, Man, <laughs> can you believe this? Like, can you believe this? That's where I'm at. So I know I it sounds cheesy. That. Totally true. No, but I think, and we just spoke about this offline. Um, I think that there is something so incredibly important about people figuring out what makes them fall in love with their life every day. Um, Cause happiness is an emotion. It's fleeting, but joy, joy, you know, is that deep inner resolve. And I feel like when you find that thing that brings you so much joy and fulfillment, and I know there's multiple things for you. You have a family and you have children as well, but you describe beekeeping as saving you. And I would love for you to chat more about that and kind of your background and what, what that means to you. So I'm going to go deep and I'm going to go, you know, a little serious for a little while um, because this, this is a story that should be told. Um, background to me being in Tennessee, another reason that I feel like we connect is that I'm a former California resident. I love California, miss it every single day. Uh, and so I was a fireman in uh, Los Angeles for a while uh, prior to moving to Tennessee. And as you can imagine, as you know, um, it's like disaster central. Like every week there's just something that's happening, right? Well, for, you know, most residents, it's, it's really hard. It's very challenging. Well, for a fireman, it's like every day is Christmas. It's like, here we go. Like we get to do our job. We get to like really practice our skills. I know that sounds weird, but like you get to do yeah. what you want, you know, rather yeah. than sit around. Um, and so, it, you know, it, it's wonderful. The backstory that we never talk about is that 
when you go on when you go on an incident where there's a significant trauma, um, suicides are really hard to deal with. Children, anything to do with kids is really hard, especially mm. when you have kids. You in the fire service, at least, we were always tough. We didn't really talk about it. Um, because you wanted to portray an image of strength and uh, and uh, and then nothing faced you because you know if if your rescuer is kind of a mess, it doesn't really bode well for your patients. You don't feel very confident. And so what you end up doing over you know a twenty year span is internalizing a lot of things. And so what I realized over the years is that it was it was like kind of adding up. Um, and I think, you know, one phrase would be death by paper cuts, but I'm not going to die. It's it's just like a small mm-hmm. little like, mm-hmm. you know, that, mm-hmm. that kind of bugs mm-hmm. you. Well, over time that builds up and you got to have some sort of outlet. You need a great therapist. You need really good friends. You need a really good hobby. Beekeeping literally was was the thing that saved me. So when I would go on some pretty significant and I've been through some pretty significant things, I would go back to the hives and I know it sounds cliche as well if you just breathe around these darn things it's like the <laughs> energy yeah i never feel more connected to this earth and everything around me than when i'm you know surrounded by a million venomous insects um the, <laughs> the energy that they give me and the the they they challenge you or they force you to slow down maybe that's mm. a better way to say it like you have to slow down you have to control your breathing um, you have to be very purposeful in your movement, in your hands, because they are always watching you mm. in a good way. It's it's mm. just like equine therapy. Like you, they read you and they mm. mirror whatever you do. And so, if I were to go on a serious call and I'd come back, I had to refocus my energy and my breathing so that I wouldn't upset the bees. And at the same time, it strengthened me and it brought me back. and And, and it was a real um, healthy outlet. And and it really grew. Uh, I'm the kind of guy that when I love something, I get like a hundred percent to it. I, I'm just like you with guarding. It's like I go to bed thinking about this stuff. I wake up, you know, thinking about it as well. How do I make, you know, the best queen? How do I, you know, I go to dinner parties and I talk about the mating habits of my virgins and my mm-hmm, wife's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> she's like, please, honey, today could you just not? And now, and I'm like, no, I'm doing. <laughs> so it takes over your life, but I believe in the best way. Um, and so it really saved me. And then at the same time, again, just like you, it, it gave me this energy to feel like there is a voice here and there is a void in the industry that I want to fill. Mm. And I want to be uh, a friend and a, a teacher and a voice for people that maybe don't know exactly what to do in beekeeping or are trying to find their ways or have gone through trauma, that sort of thing. And so because of that, um, I was an actor for a long time. I'm comfortable in front of um, an audience because of that. I felt like, okay, like maybe people need to have a teacher that can say I've failed and here's why I failed learn from me and let's do this thing together. And that is sort of the mantra that's really taken off so that I teach schools every year and I, I do a lot of, um, public outreach. That's the thing I feel like that people sort of gravitate towards a little bit mm-hmm. is that. I'm one of you. You know, I'm not this guy on a high pedestal. I'm literally one of you. And I've been where you are right now. Let's do this thing together and let me show you in the best way. And also, let's talk about how we're earning. Let's talk about how we're doing amazing. Let's talk about the great things in your life um, and not hide them anymore. One of the best things that has happened to me from retiring, honestly, is that now I'm pretty darn open when I'm like, man, I don't feel well today. Here's why. Mm. Uh, And I feel like we're kind of lacking that a little bit. You know, totally. not to 
get get too big but like we don't talk to each other anymore <laughs> we text you know like we there's this void and and i want to try and kind of repair that a little bit with better communication so i think the thing about bees that's really incredible is it's very um sensory and vibrational so unless you have command over yourself and a ton of self-awareness uh it's not going to go well so you it forces you and i think i think about that when it comes to like parenting where with children it's different you think that you can hide as an adult um and you can't they're feeling it and they're hearing it and they can read between the lines but it's you know but they're not always going to tell you um <clears throat> and i think with the bees they they actually are going to tell you and so it's really you get that instant feedback that's really authentic um that i think really pushes you to be and i know it's so silly like you said cuz it's like you're talking about a bee like a bug but um yeah. but it's so not and it's just there's so many life analogies and i think it's just a really beautiful parallel um but i think it's really great that you focus on this communication and this honesty and authenticity because I think that's what the world needs is more people to be willing to say, like more people to, I think, be willing to experience what they're experiencing in the moment so they can move through it. Like, I feel like that's a really simple and and fundamental way of living. Um, that's super healthy that we aren't taught to do as humans. Don't you feel like sometimes too, like the most, like the simplest of lessons are the ones we got to hear every day. Mm. You know, the, the most basic things of like, like to me, Chaos is a matter of perspective. Like I'm, mm. I'm reaching here. Uh, you know, mm. I, I love to say I'm a gardener. I'm, I'm, I'm the the entry level gardener. But to me, it's like, let's say it's like a zucchini plant that's gone berserk, and you're right at it. And it, and I feel like if you back up, you get more control. Same thing in in mm. beekeeping. Like when you are too close, and and it just seems like there's bees everywhere, and it's nuts. If you take a step back, you take a deep breath and it's like, okay, like I, like I've got a bigger picture fire service, same thing. Like if you're right in that incident and there's fire blowing out of the windows and there's something blowing up over here and someone hurt on the ground, if you take a step back, you can sort of not compartmentalize, but you can really organize and get a better perspective and then say, okay, what do I really need to do this second versus, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm, in five mm -hmm. minutes or in a month, same thing with my kids. If there's a big meltdown, it's usually like, all right, what's this really about? Mm. And you're only going to figure out what it's really about if you take a step back and say, well, wait a second. He didn't sleep all last night because mm. his nose was all stuffy or whatever. Maybe that's what's going on. You know? Yeah. I think we can relate this to any of our worlds at any different level uh, on sure. the most, you know, the basic of lessons. And I, I need to hear that all the time. I wrote that down. Chaos is a matter of perspective because I think that's really beautiful. And um, I actually kind of like a, a certain level of chaos. Um, but that's probably like a trauma response from my childhood. Uh, anyways. <laughs> um, okay. I want to go back a little bit. So how did you get into beekeeping? So you mentioned your family, a family of actors in LA. Did you grow up? Was there someone in your life that did expose you to, to beekeeping or gardening or just nature? Or did you just kind of come by it? Honestly, like how did that happen? How did it begin? So I grew up in New York, was working in the film business and then firefighting in LA and then got married and we decided to move to Tennessee to be closer to some family members uh, and really kind of get out of the city. And when we moved here, I continued to be a firefighter. And one day my wife read an article in the newspaper about how bees were in trouble. And it was right. really that simple. I have no prior history. No one's been a farmer, like, you know, again, family actors and writers and like nothing to do with farming in any way. 
and she read this article about how they were in trouble. And I was like, huh, like, why are, why are they in trouble? Why are people so afraid of bees? And I like helping people. I've got all this free time. We didn't have kids at the time. I've got all this free time. Like, maybe I should try this out. And I got two hives. And then about a week later, I wanted a hundred um, because of kind of what we're talking about. Like, it just like, it just hooks you mm. where you're like, man, I can't, I haven't figured this out. And there's so much more to learn. And like, there's so many different ways to do it. Beekeeping, no one's figured it out. We're all kind of experimenting all the time. We get to be inventors constantly. Yeah. Uh, which is a blessing and a curse because you'd almost kind of wish someone would be like, this is exactly how you do it. Mm. Uh, and no one's out there right now doing that. Um, yeah. The other thing that's really cool is like, it's really, you know, I think it's very trendy. So it's possible that it will go out of favor. But right now, everybody is curious about this little bug and why it's in trouble and how they can get involved. Um, I'm, you know, fairly involved on social media and, and other stuff trying to help people. I think it's like 82% of my followers uh, are female. Mm-hmm. 82%. Mm-hmm. And that did not used to be the case at all. Uh, there, There's definitely been a shift where uh, it's great. It's like people are are empowered more. It's This is no longer like a, a man is a farmer and that's it. Mm-hmm. Like literally 82% of people are like, well, heck, I want to do this thing. I want to jump in here. Uh, and so again, like I love connecting with people and I love being honest. And so it's been really fun to see the growing trends and how things have changed. Um, to be able to connect with my audience better. I'm I'm a middle child with two sisters. Um, so I love talking and I love connecting and being <laughs> honest. And I love hugging. I'm a big hugger. Um, and so, you know, for whatever reason, this thing has just grown from, you know, that two hives in 2008, I think it was, uh, to where it is now where, you know, I don't even know how many hives we've managed, honestly. Um, I, I couldn't even guess. Uh, it's probably like between two and 300. Somewhere around there. At South Hall. Uh, South Hall is about 120. And then I run about eight yards outside of South Hall as well through my um, my private company. Okay. Because I was going to ask, do you keep your own bees like at home also? You do. Definitely. Okay. Okay. Yeah, got it. Yeah. So I actually, I, yeah. You're managing 200 or 300 hives. How many bees is that? Well, it's, uh, it depends on the time of year. Uh, let's just use South Hall, for example. South Hall is about 6 million bees, somewhere around there on property. Uh, and it varies, but between 100 to 140 colonies. Really, like the thing that, that should be mentioned here is I'm not about the honey at all. Uh, I'm about the bees. I want to raise bees that my kids are going to enjoy one day. Okay. And the way to, yeah. But here's the thing. Before, I'm so sorry to interrupt you. You're Go not about the honey. This is this is life. This is where you can't, you cannot, um, this can't be contrived. Your honey is award-winning honey. Like super, super incredible award-winning honey. I've tasted it myself. But um, that is what is so exceptional to me is in pursuit of this journey that brings you so much joy and passion that you're doing to the absolute fullest of your integrity within that pursuit and within just loving the journey, the outcome is so beautiful, but it's like not even about that for you. And not at all. And yet it's like some of the best honey. I mean, literally you're winning awards for how great the honey is, but I think it's again, a life analogy. It speaks to the fact that like how you treat the bees and how specifically, which we'll get into a little bit, how specifically you sort of run the bee program um, creates such a beautiful, healthy, happy life 
And then the outcome is just so pure and genuine and amazing. I think you hit it. Like, that's it. When you care more about the bees than the honey, they end up making amazing honey. Uh, I, I think that you give people, like, here's the, here's the bigger lesson, maybe. Like, when you give your workforce the tools to really succeed, they're going to they're gonna freaking knock it out of the park. You just got to give them the right stuff uh, and then sit back and watch. You know what? Maybe this is like you, you give your kids everything they need to thrive and survive. And in the end, if they are this rock star, they're the rock star in whatever way they want. And if you gave them those tools, um, then you can be content with whatever you did, you know, initially to, to raise them the right way. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but to me, yeah. it's like, it's amazing to make great honey. Don't, don't get, I don't want to discount it, but I think if I stop making great honey this minute, I would still love what I do. Mm. I would still feel like, like we're making a difference uh, because if I make more queen, so we're a queen breeder. So we raise livestock to sell to other people to try and share our genetic um, race, which we, we've worked very, very hard to make a very strong stock. Well, it's like growing the best seeds. Like I want to spread these seeds everywhere so that in the end, we're kind of helping out the environment more than just Southall. So we're raising this great queen. So hopefully other people will end up making great honey. Yeah, maybe that hurts, you know, if we're going to get awards or not. But maybe it also challenges me to raise my level every single year and try and get better and better. Mm. You know, we, one of the most favorite things to do at South Hall is called the honey tasting. Uh, and if you ever come back, man, you, you've got to do it. You'll, know, you'll love it. It's really fun. So it's like an hour and a half or so with me and the head chef and the Psalm. And we will guide, guide you through a honey, food, and wine parent. But what's really fun about it is people think honey's honey. And that's, that's, that's sort of a challenge that I have on every mm. level. It's like, hey, I'm here to dispel the notion that all honey is created equally and tastes the same because it doesn't at all. Uh, and that by the end of it, hopefully you'll realize like honey is very unique and, and, and something which should be celebrated. But there's so many different levels to honey um, that in the end, one of my most favorite things to do is be like, hey, close your eyes. I want you to picture popcorn. Now I want you to eat this honey and have everybody just start smiling. Like what? Like, like it literally like you feel like you're eating popcorn or uh, there's a, a honey called meadow foam honey. I don't know if you ever heard of it, but it's, it's so like random. Um, it's from Oregon and you eat meadow foam honey and you will immediately think you're eating a toasted marshmallow. Wow. How insane is that? This bug work, you know, a flower brought it back and put this nectar in a, you know, it's in a jar now and it tastes just like a marshmallow. Um, that's sort of like, you know, yes, it's award-winning honey. It's great. But like, that's almost more entertaining because you get to really like be one of that, you know, the, a spiritual guide for somebody in that way. <laughs> have you read The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho? I have not, but I've heard about it. I want I'm mailing it, it sure. to you. I'm mailing it to you. Okay. Um, <laughs> So just remember this part of our conversation, but it reminds me of like alchemy and the alchemist's journey, which is like everything leads up and you have to have all these trials and tribulations and go through this entire pursuit before the act of alchemy and sort of creating something of nothing is even possible. Um, anyways, I'm sending you that book. I'm going to make a note of it right now because you'll love it. Um, but okay, I have a question about, I want to get into some bee stuff for a second. Number one is, what does your day-to-day -day look like as a beekeeper? Like, what do you kind of run us through a general, what are you spending your time doing? What does that look like? So uh, full disclosure, I don't do it all by myself. 
I have an amazing assistant. Her name is Catherine, and she um, definitely helps out with a lot of the, the labor. Um, also remember that when you're dealing with the level of hives that I'm dealing with, I'm going to work a little bit differently than your average backyard beekeeper. So we'll talk about it in two different ways. Yeah. So on on my level, I'm making sure that my queens are um, laying uh, in a proper pattern and, and, um, and form. In other words, you can tell the the health and maturity of your queens by if they take up every single cell to lay their eggs, um, if they're very active. Um, we are checking on the mentality of the hive. So every single hive literally has its own sort of characteristic or, or, um, or vibe. And so when you open up the hive, are the bees like chasing you? Are they coming right after you? Or are they pretty chill? Are they making a lot of honey? Are they also pest protective? In other words, are they chasing out the invaders? Um, so on that level, I'm, I'm kind of going a little bit higher where I'm like, all right, this yard is pretty good. This yard is not. Okay, let's go deeper. If you are a backyard beekeeper with a couple hives, I'd say you can expect uh, about an hour a week or so to be taking care of your hives. Hey. And on that level, you know, you're going in there and you're opening it up and you're making sure, do they have enough food? Is the queen laying? And is there like robbing or any sort of like fighting or in, infighting um, between hives or that sort of thing? It's it's actually way more, it's a little bit more relaxed. You know, you're not dealing with high numbers. You're just like, you're getting to know those two hives really well. Um, I will say that the majority of my queens I know pretty well because I raised them by hand uh, mm. and they know me. And uh, I'll I'll keep it brief, but we started raising with Italians and Italians are kind of what you'd expect. They're lovers. Everybody's happy, you know, come in into the hives, have a meatball, let's be friends. The challenge that we had with Italian bees is that they ate too much. Uh, and so we had to feed them a lot more. So we went away from that and brought in Russian stock and Russians were great. They were really hard workers. They were like <laughs> always doing the thing. They were really defensive. So they got the pests out, but I got stung more mm. uh, and it doesn't really work for business because I'm in the agritourism world. Right. So I'm bringing yeah, people constantly my in and showing. Tour. <laughs> that was really fun. It was, awesome. uh, so you can't really have that pure Russian stock, or I could. So now we've sort of uh, moved more towards something called the Carniolian, which is sort of a mix of the best worlds. Like works really hard, super chill. It's like your cool aunt, you know, that's always like up to hang out or whatever. Works really hard, but you know, is never too pushy. Mm. Uh, and so that's that's sort of what we do now. And and so my job on my level is I need to raise, you know. 100 nucleus colonies. Nucleus colonies are baby colonies. They're like yeah. a, a small one that we sell, and then someone takes that baby and turns it into an adult colony, making a bunch of honey. So that's kind of where my role is. All right, where are we going on big picture? Um, and then how do I then transfer that to assistants that are out in the field actually like feeding or making splits and you know that sort of thing? Got it, got uh, it. But okay. there's, there's many ways you can go with it. No, but I think that's so interesting. Like there, there's, you know, that bees have a personality um, and that based on their behavior and the way they differ from one another, you can begin to see that. And I think that's so interesting. But like you said, I mean, you're really kind of managing an ecosystem. And so it's cool to see at that super high level, how do you manage so much um, and then bring it down, obviously, to just the home beekeeper. And I guess my question about the home beekeeping because we talked a little bit about this, is sometimes it's more harm than good when people are like thinking they want to be beekeepers, I think. Um, and I would love for you to share a little bit about 
where do you start as a, someone who like wants to get into beekeeping? Where do you start and how do you approach this in a way that's contributing to the good? So this is sort of a complicated um, topic. I'll just preface it by saying that. So okay. I think everybody starts with the best of intentions. Uh, everybody starts saying, look, I want to help the environment. I want to connect with nature. I want to raise a bunch of bees. We haven't quite figured it out, like I mentioned in the beginning, which means when you have a pest problem or you have any sort of disease problem, there isn't a silver bullet. And because of that, everybody kind of wants to, to take care of it, how they approach nature, how they are, you know, how are they an organic farmer or are they conventional, that sort of thing. And so when you want to start out, generally, most people find their local beekeeping club. They try and um, connect with them, get a mentor. Uh, you know, the best thing you need to do actually is wherever you live in the country, you got to know where the season begins and ends. So in Tennessee, for example, cool. the beekeeping season pretty much starts, you know, at mid-April uh, mm -hmm. is when things really start to come alive. Now, they're, they're coming alive in March and February, but really like when people are starting out uh, with new colonies, it's about mid-April. And then the activity will run until about November and then everybody kind of goes to sleep and kind of, you know, gets tucked away. The The challenge that we have in the beekeeping world is that People with the best of intentions will get two colonies, not realize how much work it could be, and then they sort of let them do their own thing in the backyard. And I will be the first one to admit, I spent the first six or seven years as what's called a treatment-free beekeeper, where I did you know, no treatments whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I wanted to let nature take its course. Uh, and so if a colony wasn't strong enough or the queen wasn't good, I would generally just let them die because I thought I was following. That was my mantra, like just just let, let the earth take care of itself. Mm -hmm. We are in a crossroads, and this is where it gets controversial. It, this mm. is all my opinion, but we are at a at a time and space, unfortunately, where we have taken a wild animal and we have domesticated it. Mm. And so my bees now depend on me way more than they did 20 years ago. And so because of that, if you don't kind of steer them and you don't kind of take care of them, you will they will end up dying. But then on top of that, it's called a mite bomb. There's a varroa mite. It's the big pest that's taking out our bees. You create a bomb where you you release all these pests into your local environment, which then takes down all your neighbor's bees and takes down the wild bees. And it's it's really, really challenging because people don't know unless they are testing or, or, or in their hives, making sure that they have this pest or not. And then some people are like, well, I'm just going to let it go and not pay attention to it. It's like a really bad cold or flu that just spreads everywhere. And when I'm next door, I have a property next door to somebody else who's taking care of the bees and they're not taking care of them, hopefully responsibly, uh, then I'm sort of like subjected to whatever their view on the world is and it takes over my lives. So, you know, it, it's really hard sell, but I kind of have to say like, your bees really need you. You can't just sort of stick this box in the field and come back next year. You're not only hurting those bees, but you're hurting my bees at the same time. Mm. And again, that's a really hard pitch. You know, I wish it wasn't the case. We have created this ourselves. We mm -hmm, brought mm -hmm. this problem on ourselves pretty much by importing bees from outside this country. Uh, and now we're stuck. I j why are bees like the ultimate analogy for all of the things that are going wrong in the world? <laughs> but Seriously, okay, I, I want to compound what you're saying. Um, uh, over a year ago, probably two years ago, as a, as a little gardening influencer, I reached out to Flow Hive and I was like- sure. I want one of these cool flow hives. I want to be a beekeeper. Sure. I'm into gardening. And so I reached out. I was like, do you guys do collaborations? Like I do and blah, blah, blah. And they were like, 
we will not collaborate with anyone unless you are very serious about beekeeping and can prove it. Like literally, like you yeah, have yeah. done your research. You want, you already have some practice with the hive. You're highly committed. You're going to give the time and energy. And I was like, oh, and that was fantastic <laughs> because I was like, I'm not ready. <laughs> I have two, <laughs> at the time I had two really little kids. Now I've got even more kids. Like even still, it's like, I mean, we're not even doing house plants. Okay. We're just doing the vegetable garden and the children and the husband and the dog. <laughs> and that's where we max out. But I loved that because you could tell they had this really strong commitment to the bees. and. It wasn't about business yeah. and exposure. They were like, don't need it. There's enough people excited about it. But like, you know, really being committed to the cause was way more important. And I was so impressed by that. Yeah, they, uh, the, the hive comes from Australia. And it's one of the biggest, I think, crowdfunding um, experiments that's ever happened. I think it, they, they were looking for like a million dollars to fund the flow hive and they end up getting 20 or something ridiculous. <laughs> it's like the biggest deal. You know, ironically, they don't work in Tennessee. So I'm probably hey. like um, stopping my collaboration chances with them in the future, but they uh, they don't actually work in Tennessee. I love what they're out there doing. You know, they're trying right. to spread the word about bees. They're really trying to make a difference. Um, but again, you've you really beekeeping is so local. You've got to connect yeah. with the local people and what they're using because it all matters. Um, you know, I really can't, as much as I'd love to say, I'll be your mentor, you know, from Tennessee to California, you're in a different world than me. Uh, and, and the bees are absolutely, it's, they're going to dictate kind of how you work and the seasons mm. you're, you, that you have is different. Um, that type of the hive you're going to have is different. It's very could, important. Could we purchase a hive and or Queens from you though in California, or is that another thing that needs to be really local? Uh, you could, I mean, we are. That's a technical question. I mean, you definitely could. There's people that buy bees from Hawaii and use them in May. It's not the end of the world. Uh, I would, I'd probably send you bees and then I would say, as soon as you can, Bailey, you should be raising your own queens. Like, mm. I want you to be raising your own stuff that know, you know, the bees that I'm raising here, they know that the locust blooms April 20th every mm. single year. They know that the mm. basswood's coming on June 15th. They really are in tune and it's not impossible to raise bees from Hawaii and Tennessee. It's just that like, you just kind of bring them into a world that they don't know what's going on. It's, mm. it's, you know, I really want to stay hyper local. The, the answer, one of the answers in beekeeping to me is that we need to raise a bunch of beekeepers that are very, um, hypersensitive to keeping the bees they're raising in whatever city that they're they're raising really not staring them anywhere like yeah. let's have this local club of queen breeders and let's make the best queens we possibly can and let's keep it here they actually do this in europe all over the place slovenia is one of the biggest beekeeping countries in the world hmm. one of every four residents of slovenia is a beekeeper oh my gosh and you literally can't you can't move your bees you can't sell a queen from one area in another because it's diluting their like true identity of like this is the neighborhood, you know, queen and, and it belongs here. And I really respect that. I don't know if we'll ever attain that in the States, but the principle is pretty, pretty solid. You really that's want something so cool. that's going to survive. It should be from your neighborhood. Okay. So this reminded me of something else I wanted to ask you about. So I think that's brilliant. Um, this hyper, hyper local concept and being committed to hyper locality and also um, sort of like the native flora and fauna in general. Um, and that brought me to the fact that you guys actually have more than just honeybees. Uh, and I know you showed me at South Hall, 
um, some of the like mason bees and the other bees. And I would love for you to speak a little bit about that because I think there's like the like less sexy bees. <laughs> They're not honeybees um, really? that were, yeah. you know, that people aren't like appreciating as much, you know. Native bees are like that brother-in-law that never gets the attention or the credit for what he's doing. <laughs> but he's so smart, you know, time. and he's like, <laughs> you want to sit next to him at dinner. You just don't know it yet. Right. You don't know yet. So there's 4,500 species of native bees in North America. We use primarily two, uh, especially at South Hall. And, and really like nationwide, like if you're going to try and raise native bees, you're going to be using one of two. It's a mason bee or a leaf cutter bee. Mm-hmm. And a mason bee works generally in the early spring. And doesn't make any honey, uh, uses mud pretty much for the walls, uh, and lives in little reeds, little natural reeds. I think it's a great thing for anybody who's into gardening or has kids or pets or whatever, like activity around um, your backyard, but you still want to raise bees. They're awesome because they don't generally sting. Technically, the females can sting. I've been stung once and it felt just like a little bite. Uh, and They don't cause anaphylactic shock. They're like a completely different world. The problem is they never get the attention they deserve because they don't make honey. It's just not as sexy. Uh, they work in the spring and then about June 1st or so, it's like a tag team. And uh, the leaf cutters come in and the leaf cutters will work from June 1st till usually the end of October or so. Same idea. Um, they go out, they um, will grab pollen, bring it back to that reed. And they actually just use leaves instead of mud to make their um, the cocoons where their eggs hatch. The, the point of native bees is they're an alternate, alternative to honeybees, but also uh, the behavior is what's so important. This is what uh, I talk about a lot at South Hall and, and a lot of my stuff is that, again, you got to know the behavior or the patterns of your workforce and you'll do much better. So the native bee, whether it be mason bee or leafcutter bee, is really clumsy. And so when this bee lands on, let's say, an apple tree, it'll pick up, she will pick up a bunch of pollen. And then she'll fly to the next flower and drop everything. Like mm. a, a kid in an Easter egg hunt, like drops all mm, the eggs, mm. puts them back up, goes somewhere else, drops them again. Super, super clumsy. It's a pain in the neck for the bee, but for us, it's amazing because your cross-pollination is off the charts. Mm-hmm. So generally, there's a lot of people that will say it's 100 to 1, 100 times more effective one mason bee to 100 honeybees. Uh, and so we use them you know, pretty heavily here on the farm. And I don't know many farms in the country that use them. The challenge with native bees is that if there's any sort of spraying, even in your neighborhood, it doesn't even have to be your yard, they don't like anything that's artificial. So they will generally start to, to move on. So you really yeah. have to give the tools to, again, to your workforce for them to succeed. And in my situation, at least at South Hall, there's 35 acres of native perennials. They are constantly glooming everywhere and it entices them to stick around. I think a garden can absolutely do that, mm-hmm. but you've got to plan ahead. You really need to say, okay, what is native in this area? How do I get it to bloom? And how do I get it to tag team? Because you want a, something that's going to flower and then, or bloom and then stop and then something else is going to kick in right behind it. So there's always something beating your beat. So I think that's brilliant and it's really interesting. I had a girlfriend on here talking about permaculture and one of the most important things that she felt like were perennials. And Just- this- reinforces what she was saying, which is the importance of perennials in just a healthy permaculture garden, but like ecosystem in general. Um, When it comes to gardening, planting, natives, all of that, really paying attention to cultivating the perennials and helping them thrive, which I think it's similar to like the native bee. They're like the unsung heroes of the garden, 
you know. I feel like if you want to succeed with our, like a rock star garden, you really, I don't feel like you can do it unless you have pollinator strips. In other words, you have some sort of wall to say like when those pollinators arrive at your garden, they don't want to leave and go to your neighbors. It's like that wall is right there with all the food. You know, I, I feel like everybody should sort of build that into their plan every single year. All right, we're going to have a strip, even make, like I said, a wall around your entire property. You'll do much better. The farm fields that we have here that constantly excel are the ones that have long strips of whatever. It, honestly, it doesn't really matter. You know, you can throw zinnias probably in your sleep and have them be growing. And, and it, it really is, it's just something that's easy <clears throat> to turn fast. Well, we noticed that in Tennessee, um, it's, it's incredible. We felt like it was incredibly beautiful, but like when you're driving, you'll see like farmland and then strips of like the native shrubs, trees, yep. plants in between, obviously I think indicating property lines. Also, there's a lot more, there are a lot more like creeks and, and rivers and whatnot, but it, it mimics nature in that way where you're creating these borders that are really lush. And you can see like in California, sometimes just miles and miles and miles and miles of nothing, you know, and that's kind of where this whole, the, the mono monoculture practice is just failing us. But, um, okay. Question about people that aren't ready to keep any bees, but really want to help the bees as a non beekeeper, but like an everyday suburbanite gardener person, how can we help the bees? I feel like you specifically are in a, like a perfect spot to really educate people on, all right, you don't want to be a beekeeper. What do you do? Do you need a pollinator to pit stop? Like you need, like you, you know, you have like this whole plan of like, I'm going to design my garden for the year. How am I going to do it? I believe that you have a chance to say, all right, when you're designing it, you absolutely have to have that pit stop for those, those pollinators. And I say pollinators and everybody, by the way, thinks just honeybees, like, or, or in this situation, we've also talked about native bees, but we can't forget butterflies. We can't forget all these other things out there that really need the food and need us. So I like to tell a lot of people, treat your backyard like your pet and really take care of it, really foster like a healthy relationship so that you're inviting everybody to come through. At South Hall, I want people to constantly check in and never leave. Like I want to be that mm -hmm. resort that the pollinators are like, I'm never moving on. I'm going to stick around. And the only way to do that in my position is we've got to have those pollinator strips or those pit stops. And you know, if, if, all right, let's say you've got that covered and you, you've already selected your six varieties of native perennials. Um, that's great. I think you can also do self-seeding annuals. Like I don't want to completely discount it, but I do feel like I'm much more of a fan of like, I've invested in this perennial. It's going to come back year after year and I can sort of move on and think about other things. Um, but if you've already sort of taken care of that forage and the nectar sources, uh, I think you also, you know, we can't forget, we got to support our local beekeepers. I want you to, you know, really love um, our honey from South Hall and, and get excited about it. But in the end, what you should be eating every single day is honey from California, you know, honey from your local area. Yeah. Because that's the honey you really are going to benefit from. <clears throat> and I, you should really get to know your local beekeeper, him or her. You should ask the questions, how do you take care of your bees? Do you use any sort of you know, you use synthetics, are you using any sort of organic acids? How do you really take care of your bees? Even if you don't understand it all, at least you're asking the questions to make them realize that it matters. Mm. You know, anything I put in my hive is going to end up in the honey. And I can't with a clear conscience use something that my kids would, you know, something called uh, paradichlorobenzene, which a lot of beekeepers use to keep moths away. Moths like eat the wax and stuff. 
it literally has benzene in it. I can't do that. Uh, and, and I don't want to necessarily blame other people for their choices. That's their, their opinion or their choice, but I'm not going to do that to my kids. And I feel like when a customer comes to me to buy the honey, I should be able to answer with a straight face, look them straight in the eye and say, no, I don't do anything. And my honey is great. And by the way, it's super cloudy. It is not mm. crystal clear. Um, you want to buy cloudy honey. So you taught me that. And I've been sent actually a lot of, I had sent honey a lot. <laughs> and if it's not and cloudy, I am not interested. <laughs> and I feel Good. like I'm so legit now that I know that. Is but it's, you know, it's really, I mean, yes, then you, you see all the honey, you know, honey bears at the grocery store with that super clear, pretty honey. And it's like, don't do it. It's not honey. It's honey flavored syrup. It's cut Ugh. with high fructose corn syrup or water. It's pasteurized. Like, I don't know why in this country we want to be able to read our newspaper through our jar of honey. Our jar of honey should be filled with pollen, fill it junk, you know, because that's where the bees intended it to, to be. Mm. So, you know, you want to be eating honey that it's like you stuck your spoon in the hive and took a bite. That's what you're after right now. You want honey that's going to crystallize. Um, I don't know if we talked about this, but I'm right now training to be a honey sommelier. That's actually a thing. That's so cool. <laughs> um, and one of the things that I've learned from this training is that we're kind of the only ones that eat liquid honey. Like most of Europe, it's all crystallized. Like that's that's mm. sort of how they want you to appreciate it because it's like this is the way that honey's supposed to be. Eventually, it sits around can long you, enough. It's going to crystallize. Buy crystallized honey. Like how do you eat crystallized honey? You eat it just with a spoonful. I mean, same way we eat it. It's just it's got a different texture. Okay. Uh, but the flavor is still very very powerful. Some of the best honey in the world, I believe, comes from Italy and and Spain. Uh, mm. And it's primarily not liquid uh, and and it's just as good, if not better, mm. for sure. And, you know, by the way, if your honey does crystallize and you're like, ah, I, I really like liquid, then it's super simple. You just take that jar and you put it in some warm water bath and then you just, you know, it liquefies up again. It's not the end of the world, but you definitely need to tell your audience that they should never microwave their honey. You don't mm. need to refrigerate your honey. Um you know, your honey really should be left alone. You want to have a, a airtight seal on it, uh, on that jar. But other than that, just let your honey be a living, breathing organism that it is. Honey will never spoil if you take care of it the right way. You can mm. eat honey from ancient Egypt if you wanted to. Uh, but oh that gosh. is honey that has been in an airtight container. Yeah, interesting. Okay, I love that. So I want to be conscious of our time. I have one more question for you. It's an easy one. Yeah. Um. I would love to know your favorite books, um, one or two of your favorite books. They can be related to gardening, beekeeping, or otherwise. Honeybee Democracy, one of the best ones out there. Um, the Hive and the Honeybee, that's another great one. There is a great book right now that it just came out recently. It's called What a Bee Knows. Mm. And it's like getting into the mind of a bee. Like, does a bee sleep? Does it dream? Uh, you know, what does it think about? The answer is yes to all of that, which is the best wow. part about the book. So what? I strongly recommend that. Bees one. dream? Yes. Not. They have like My nightmares. God. Yes. They like twitch in their sleep. It's the coolest thing. You got to read the book. I'll send you the book if you send me the alchemy book. Deal, <laughs> deal, deal. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So where can everybody find you and, and be in touch with you if they want or just get, you know, to know what you're up to? Where can I send everybody? The best uh, or most like up-to-date place is going to Instagram, WilliamsHoneyTN is my handle on Instagram. You can go to our website, WilliamsHoneyFarm.com. 
that's where you can get like there's reading lists on there if you want to get into beekeeping definitely go there and check it out uh if you're in the area uh we do in-person schools as well and if you ever want to go on an apiary tour and you're coming through tennessee i don't know if it gets any better than south hall i would strongly recommend coming Uh, you don't even have to be a guest here you can stop in and we will take you on an apiary tour uh, and it's really really fun so that's that's the best way probably to get in touch with me I love that. That's how I got to know you. I did the apiary tour with my son, um, who at the time was five, almost six. And it was really magical because we got to see so much of South Hall and how beautiful it is. But you got to show us so many different types of hives. And I just think it helps cultivate even more love for such an interesting part of life and story. But I, I was just, it was really, really special tour. And we got to taste honey like straight off the comb and wear the suit mm. and get like the smoke. And it was just so, so, so like 10 out of 10, 12 out of 10 recommendation. Mm. Thank oh my you gosh. so much. It was really fun to have you. <laughs> You're wonderful. Thank you so much for this chat today. I feel like we could do more conversations about it, but this is so much great information. I'm really excited to like spread the word about the beat and about you. So thank Thanks you so, so much. much. Oh, I appreciate it. You're doing great things. Thanks so much. Thank you, friend. Okay, we'll talk soon. I hope this episode has been balm for the soul and inspiration for the heart. I would love if you left a review to let me know your thoughts or anything you're interested in learning. And I'm so grateful that you found this space. For more information on any techniques, recipes, or ideas mentioned, visit us at baileyvantassel.com slash podcast.